of visitation. Hear the Spirit call. Welcome to another podcast of Dr. Leslie Bakupong. Be blessed as you listen. Wow. Tell somebody about you. Isn't it a blessing? Isn't it a blessing? Hallelujah. Ezekiel said, And the word of the Lord came unto me again. Say again. I believe this morning there's an again word for you. Amen. If you believe there's an again word for you and you are ready in your spirit to receive the full package of what God has purposed and has prepared in the mouth of our daddy, you want to welcome the ministry of our own daddy, Pastor Dr. Leslie Kwakukum. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Just begin to bless the name of the Lord. Just give Him glory. Praise His holy name. You can never get tired of giving God glory. Just let me hear you worship His holy name. Give Him praise. Hands up, arms open wide as we cry. We lift you high. Lord, we lift your name high. Let all the other names fade away.
Jesus, take your place. Father, take your place. Jesus, take your Jesus, take your place. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you glory. We give you praise. Thank you for your presence. We declare the heavens open. We declare that the word that is about to come forth will be a blessing unto every soul. Take glory, Father. Take glory, Son. Take glory, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' most excellent name, we pray it with thanksgiving. Amen. Shall we put our hands together for the Lord? We take your seats. How many of you are happy to be in church today? I can't feel the excitement of the house. How many of you are excited to be in church today? Hallelujah. Those who go to the stadium, you can feel their excitement when a goal is scored. And we are excited to be in the house of God. Amen. And how many of you are ready for the word today? Yeah. The word of God is important. Hallelujah. It's been a while since we had a series, right? Yeah. So today I'm going to begin a series. Hallelujah. Yeah, that means you have to be at every service because there's no breaking anywhere. Amen. Yeah, what I'm starting today, I'm continuing on Wednesday. Everybody say Wednesday. Uh-huh. I'm not doing Sunday, Sunday. So if you want the full package, you have to come for midweek service. Hallelujah. Yeah, and, and how many of you were at midweek service on, on, on Wednesday? Yeah, we had our very first. Uh, midweek service at our new midweek venue. Hallelujah. That's the occupational therapy unit, room 6 and 7. And um, from now on, that is where we are going to be having our Wednesday evening midweek services. Hallelujah. So, 7 o'clock to 8.30 every Wednesday. We'll have it's a service. It's just like this one. We have a service. There's worship. There's preaching of the word, there's offertory, everything takes place, alright? So what I'm starting today, I'm going to finish on Wednesday, hallelujah, alright, that's great. So we thank God for this morning, um, shall we appreciate our pastors today? Once in a while it's good to appreciate the pastors in the house, hallelujah, why are you surprised? <laughs> and let's appreciate a section of our elders. Hallelujah. Yeah. They didn't want to come and take this position. I forced them to come in. Sit in front. Hallelujah. Oh, Harriet Smiley. You both plus me. <laughs> Some people always want to be in the background, but uh, I've changed their sitting position. Hallelujah. Yeah. So I'm going to start a, a series today, and it's a very important series. I don't know when I'm going to finish. It's a long continuous something. So I, I don't know. I can't say I'll do it in two sessions or in three sessions or but I mean wherever we reach and it's time we stop, we continue like that until we exhaust the whole and I believe this is a very important topic that every believer must understand. Hallelujah. There are a lot of things we do as Christians but we don't know the biblical basis of it. We don't understand it. We just were born into it. So we've accepted it as okay, that is, this is how it's supposed to be. But we need to come to the point where we can defend the things we do. And we have 
a good understanding of the things that we do as Christians. Now let me say this before I even tell you what the, the series is all going to be about. When I was preaching about how to benefit, was there how to benefit from a sermon fully or how to benefit from church? From a sermon fully. One of the things I believe I said, <laughs> one of the things I believe I said was the fact that the sermon that is a blessing to you shouldn't necessarily be the one that is speaking to your current situation. Hallelujah. Sometimes when a sermon is preached, you feel like, ah, this one, it was for me because it's speaking directly to a need in your life. It is solving a problem. It is answering a question. But there are times when all the sermon does is to increase your knowledge. Hallelujah. When we talk about growing in God or spiritual growth, the evidence of spiritual growth is not just the fact that at first you couldn't see visions, but now you see visions. At first you couldn't heal the sick, but now you are healing the sick. At first you couldn't preach the word, but now you are preaching the word. There are aspects of the evidence of growth. Hallelujah. When we talk about growth, we are talking about an addition. Adding on. When we say you have grown fat, it means some adipose tissue has been added to your body. Amen. When we say you have grown taller, it means you have increased in height. So anytime we talk about growth, it means something has been added to you. Hallelujah. And when you come to church every Sunday through the preaching of the word, something is added to you. Something you didn't know before, you know. A way in which you saw a certain scripture is changed. Something is added to you. It is also a way of growing spiritually. Hallelujah. I just want you to change your mentality about what growing in the things of God is and what spiritual growth is. When you learn something new, it is growth. Something new has been added unto you. Hallelujah. So with this series, even though it may not come and speak to a situation in life that stop fornicating, say, speak to me, pastor, you are ministering to me, you are ministering to me, oh God. Then conviction comes upon you, you go home, go and pray, cry. And then whatever follows is, is between you and God. <laughs> it's not going to be that kind of thing. Hallelujah. It is a series that will add to your knowledge. It will add to your understanding of what we do as Christians and as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. It is something you add to yourself that you can teach somebody else later. Hallelujah. Yes. So it, it's going to be a teaching. Somebody say a teaching. I've done a lot of preaching in the past few months. Now I'm going to teacher mode. Hallelujah. So you need to write notes. You need to go back and read over your notes. Listen to the tapes. So that on that day, I'm going to start the eyes again. It's been a long time. You remember those days, midweek I'll come. And when they, uh, they say what, uh, uh, the word is going to be a blessing unto you. But that day, I come and you are a blessing to yourself because you reproduce the things that I preach. Hallelujah. So that one of these days when I stand here and I come to do an eye, I bring a microphone to you, you'll be able to tell me some of the things I said in this series. Hallelujah. Alright, so what is this series about? I've entitled the series, The Church. Hallelujah. Everybody say, The Church. We are going to go into the foundations of the church. We are going to go into a bit of church history for you to understand where we are coming from. We'll talk about the era where the, the church was uh, persecuted 
I mean all of those things, the structure and the pattern. Because it's important for us to compare what is being done now to how God intended it to be. Hallelujah. So you need to know this thing so that when you see something, you know whether this thing is according to their biblical pattern or these people are just doing something. Hallelujah. At a point, I'll go into the letters to the seven churches. I'll take time and dissect each and every one of them because they were messages, specific rebukes and instructions Jesus Christ was giving to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And the content applied to us today as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And when I'm, I'm opening it up, you will see some of the things that he was talking about in the modern day church. Hallelujah. So there, there are a lot of things we are going to learn. A, a lot of the things will sound like, like stories when we go into history and how this was done and all of that. So it's, 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 I believe it's going to be interesting. Hallelujah. So let your ears be open. Let your eyes be open. Let your spirit man be open to receive. Hallelujah. Alright, so the church. Everybody say the church. Say it again, the church. Now the first time the church was mentioned in the Bible was in Matthew chapter 16. That was the first time the word church was used. Now, what is the church? When we say the church, a lot of people have a building in mind. A church, when we say a, a, a church, a sorry we have a building in mind most of the time with a pointed roof like that and a cross standing on top of it. That is a church. Hallelujah. Um, but when we say a church, the church is not a building. Everybody say it's not a building. Let's read Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. And this is Jesus speaking. He said, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when I was doing the series on the word of God, I mentioned that the Old Testament was written in what language? In Hebrew. Some small parts were written in Aramaic. But the New Testament was written in which language? Greek. Alright? So sometimes it's important to... People think sometimes preachers and teachers and pastors use Hebrew and Greek when they want to confuse their people and when they want to sound like they know like they have Wolo but the reason why sometimes you need to go to the Hebrew and go to the Greek is that the original was written in those languages sometimes there are translation barriers that make it difficult to get exactly what the writer was, was, was trying to say there are limitations in in terms of um, let's say even if you are translating English into chi. There are certain English words that don't have chi words. So you have to look for the nearest chi word in meaning to that English word that you want to translate. Hallelujah. And sometimes in doing that, we don't get the exact meaning of what we are looking for. When we're doing the series on the word, I gave you an example. Some people say there are contradictions in the Bible, but there can never be contradictions in the Bible. Hallelujah. The Bible is perfect. The Bible is infallible. You... you if you see something that you think is a contradiction, it's because you don't understand it. You haven't gotten the revelation of the true understanding of it. And I use the example of when the Bible said, God does not tempt a man in James. Alright? If you are translating this into chi, you say, Nyanko pon so nipa in she. Hallelujah. 
That's cheat in such a But in Genesis, the Bible says, and God tested Abraham. But in cheat, in such a is test. And in such a, if you are going to write an exam test, it's in such a, hallelujah. Temptation is also in such a. So if you are the translator, the tree translator, there is only one word you can use for both of them. So you will write in Genesis that Nyankupon saw Abraham share. And in James you say Nyankupon saw Nipan share. You will take these two and say the Bible is contradicting. Hallelujah. But it was because of barriers of translation. That is why sometimes we need to go to the original Greek and the original Hebrew. What word did they use and what were they trying to say? Hallelujah. I just use this as an example to, to let you know that when I'm talking Greek and Hebrew, it's not because I want to bamboozle you and look like I know. It's because it's really necessary for us to go back to the roots of the word to understand what they were trying to say. So this one, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I shall build my church. So the Greek word here, since this is New Testament, the original word was in Greek. It was the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Say it again. Ecclesia. Oh, I can't hear you. Ecclesia. Why? Oh, I saw you from Kumasi. You don't want to say that thing. Well, I'm just pulling your legs. It's not tribal. <laughs> the word ecclesia. There are two ways of spelling it. Some people spell it E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia. And others also spell it with a K. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. You can go and look at how the Greek they write it. They have those beta and gamma and in some funny way. But we don't need that one here. Hallelujah. Ecclesia. And what is the meaning of Ecclesia? The word Ecclesia means the called out assembly. The called out assembly. Everybody say the called out assembly. So we are talking about an assembly. Buildings don't assemble. Hallelujah. So when we talk about church, we are not talking about a building. We are talking about people. People who have been called out. Called out of where? The world. People who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. That is why there's a difference between Christians and churchgoers. When we talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about church, it doesn't, it's not everybody who goes to church that is part of the church. Hallelujah. If you are not born again, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you can't be counted as part of the church. Amen. Called out. It's like a separatist state. It's like a state within a state. In the world, there are some examples like that. You have a country, and then a group of people decide that we want to be on our own, so we want to separate ourselves. In Nigeria, there was an uprising some time ago where the Eastern Nigerians wanted to separate themselves into a state called Biafra. Even now, they are still undercurrents of that struggle. They wanted to separate themselves called Biafra. And there was one man called, one soldier called Ojuku. He led them in that struggle. And it led to a very bloody civil war in Nigeria. Because they are within the country of Nigeria, but they wanted their independence. They wanted to separate themselves. When you go to Spain, for example, there are two regions of Spain that are still literally fighting 
to secede, to separate themselves from the country called Spain. It is the region of Catalonia and then the, the state called the Basque state. They are still fighting and trying to separate themselves. They want to be on their own. It was a similar thing that caused Eritrea to come out of Ethiopia. At first, there was nothing like a country called Eritrea. Eritrea was part of Ethiopia. Their capital, Asmara, was one of the cities in Ethiopia. In Ghana, many years ago, a certain political party arose from the Ashanti region that attempted to do a similar thing. The National Liberation Movement. They called them the Matemehun Party. They wanted to trade their home and make the Ashanti Kingdom a country on its own. But Kwame Nkrumah sat down and looked at the strategic positioning of Ashanti. It's in the middle. If Ashanti separates itself, you have divided Ghana into two. Hallelujah. I was like, no, no, I saw this one, they won't let it. So they killed the party in its infancy. They didn't allow it to have nourishment and to grow at all. They killed it fast. They wanted to separate themselves. Because they sat down and looked at the thing. Ah, we have gold, we have business. Our monarchy is respected across the world. We can also be like Britain where we have our president as a king. Keep all the gold in Obuasi to ourselves. We won't share it with the rest of the country. Guns, go and look for your gold. Anyways, go and look for your gold. <laughs> After all, we don't have fish. <laughs> we don't have sea. So you two, enjoy what you have. We'll come and buy from you. When you need the gold, you do come and buy from us. Akwam Kumar sat down and realized that no. If I allow this thing to happen, it's going to cause problems. So, Elikra, they decided that, you see, this creation of regions, you know, Bongahapu region and Ashanti region were one. And the two combined is the entire middle belt. Say, Charlie, make we split them. Ashanti region, Bronga Hafu region, just to clip the wings and to stop the sentiments of that separatist state. All I'm trying to tell you is that we as the church, we are a separatist state in the world. He said, come out from among them and be what? Separated. We are a separatist state. That is why the Bible says we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are a country of our own. We have our own president, which is Papa God himself. Hallelujah. We have our own constitution, which is the word of God, the Bible. We have our own currency, which is faith, by which we purchase things in this kingdom. If you carry that thing called faith, you can buy anything you want. With faith, everything is possible. Hallelujah. So we are a state within a state. We are a country within a country. We have our own rules. We have our own way of doing things. We have our own culture. That's what we call the kingdom culture. Say the kingdom culture. Hallelujah. So when we talk about the church, we are talking about the called out assembly. Those that have been called out of the world. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as the son of God. And as their Lord and personal savior. Hallelujah. So that is what the church is. So the question of what is the church has been answered. Now, who is the founder of the church? Upon who was the church built? That is another question that needs to be answered. Who is the founder of the church? There are a lot of schools of thought. Some people actually believe Peter, the apostle, is considered the, the founder of the church. 
And it's based on this same in Can I have the Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 again? And I'm going to kill that argument once and for all. Peter is not the founder of the church. Hallelujah. He said, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And this is the, the portion of scripture people use for this argument. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, those who are proponents of the fact that Peter is the founder of the church, use this scripture. Because Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church. But let me go back to the Greek again. And I'll use that to show you that that is not what Jesus Christ was trying to say. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ had a way of getting to people when he wanted to communicate to them. He used things you could identify with. That's why he used a lot of parables, real life situations, things that people... Jesus was an excellent communicator. And he used the method of using things that the people could identify with. Why do you think when he met um, the disciples, he wanted them to follow him? He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Because the majority of them were fishermen. So they could identify, okay, I, I can understand what it means to fish. So if you say, I'm a fisher of men, it's like the message just hits your spirit and you understand it immediately. It was one of the ways Jesus Christ used to communicate to people. And so, he wanted to communicate something to Peter. So he said, thou art Peter. Peter means a rock. Alright? And it's because people haven't gone to the original Greek, that's why they are saying... What Jesus was saying is that you are Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock I shall build my church. But that is not what he said. Hallelujah. Now, the Peter here is Petros. Everybody say Petros. In the original Greek, it is Petros. Petros means part of a rock. In other words, you are talking about a stone, a small rock. Hallelujah. Petros means a stone or a pebble. Most of the stones you see around were part of a big rock that has broken into pieces over time and through weathering and all of those things. And it's now, it's now become a small rock or a stone that you can throw at a bed or at a human being or something. Alright? But they were big rocks before. And that is Petros. So when you go to the original Greek, so it's saying, Thou art Petros. You are a stone, a small stone. And upon this rock, when you go to the original Greek, this rock is Petra. Everybody say Petra. Which is a large rock. Hallelujah. So, the Peter, Peter's rock and this rock here are not the same. He was talking about you are part of a rock. You are a small rock. But upon this rock, so I can imagine. You see, we don't have the video of this thing. When it was happening, there were, no, there were no cameras. But I believe I can demonstrate how Jesus Christ said. He said, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter. That means you are a small rock. And upon this rock, the Petra, the big one itself, the Ubulu, the mighty one itself, the rock of ages itself, upon this rock, I shall build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. So this rock he was talking about, building the church upon, was not Peter. Hallelujah. 
it was Jesus Christ himself. Everybody say Jesus Christ. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. So Paul also put pay to this argument. Because there were a lot of contentions and people, you know, fashionalism and things like that, that we see in church right now, it started in those days. Oh, I am for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for this, I'm for this, this, this. Paul said what? For other foundation. In fact, this one, give me NLT. I think NLT will give us better English for you to appreciate. Sometimes Paul's words are... He said, for no one can lay any foundation other than the, the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So Paul put paid to this argument as to the origin of the foundation and he made it abundantly clear that this foundation we are talking about is Jesus Christ. So we've answered two questions already. What is the church? Who is the founder of the church? So the church is the ecclesia, the called out assembly. Who is the founder of this church? Is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God. You see, sometimes when you are mentioning Jesus' name, mention the full name so we know the one you are talking about. Because Manchester City has somebody called Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you say Jesus, <laughs> we don't know which one you are talking about. Jesus and Joshua mean the same thing. Is Joshua here? Give me a wait. <laughs> Jesus and Joshua, that's why they call it Yeshua. Hallelujah. So when you mention the full one, Jesus Christ, there, is, there are many Jesuses, but there's only one Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So when you mention it, mention it. It doesn't mean if you say in the name of Jesus, it won't work. The demons know who Jesus you are talking about. Not the Manchester City one. Not the Joshua here. Hallelujah. They know the one you are talking about. But when you mention the full name, it gives, the thing, it, it, it gives it more specificity. Hallelujah. That you are talking about Jesus Christ. So we've settled the question of what is the church? Who is the founder of the church? And then when did the church begin? That's another thing. When did the church begin? Some people believe the church began when Jesus Christ started his ministry. But if you look back still at Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. He spoke in future terms. I will build my church. So I've gone back to basic grammar and things like that. Will is what? Future tense. I will build my church. He didn't say I have built my church. So if the church didn't start while Jesus Christ was walking here on the earth, what is the birthday of the church? The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. It was birthed on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. The day when they were gathered in the upper room and the Spirit of God came like a mighty rushing wing. That was the day the church was born. Now like everything that God does and everything that God builds, He has a pattern for how it has to be built. There's no time for me to take you to the Old Testament for you to look at the instructions and how specific they were about how they were supposed to build the temple in those days. Anything God builds. And Jesus has said he will build his church. So it is a building project. Hallelujah. And everything God builds, he has a pattern. And the pattern is very specific. 
The pattern for the building of the temple in the olden days was very specific, even to the nearest centimeter, to the materials that were supposed to be used for pillars, the materials that were supposed to be used for the altar, this and that, and they didn't just say, pick any kind of stone, or pick any kind of wood. They gave specifications. Hallelujah. So anything God will build, He will build with a pattern in mind, and the builders must follow the pattern. Hallelujah. If God has employed us to build his church through us, it means we must follow the exact pattern. And what is this pattern God had in mind for the church? Broadly speaking, there are two things we are supposed to see in the church. It's supposed to be a growing and a caring church. A growing and a caring church. So say after me, a growing church and a caring church hallelujah i'll give you some scriptures to show you how the new testament church grew how they multiplied how they increased but i'll start with the fact that they were a caring church they cared for each other you see church is not just for you coming to receive the word of god worship god lift up your hands and go hallelujah it's supposed to be a family. Somebody say a family. So they cared for each other. And they were taught to care for each other. The Bible said none in the church lacked. Why? Because everybody brought the things that they had. They brought it together. Laid it at the apostles feet. And each was given according to his need. And each it was taken according to his ability. So that was the first insurance policy. It was a kind of insurance. That's how insurance is sold. People, some people will pay big premiums. Others will pay small. And all is meant for eventualities. So they pool the money together. That's how, insurance com- oh, that's how insurance companies work. People pay their premiums. But they know it's not everybody who is going to have a fire outbreak in their house. It's not everybody whose car is going to get spoiled. So they pool the money together as and when people need it. And they are members of the insurance policy. They take money from that pool. And they give it. So what they were doing was a form of insurance policy. Hallelujah. So they they cared for each other. And the Bible said there was none that lacked in the church. That means if somebody needed to go and pay school fees urgently. They brought themselves together and raised money. And got the person to pay for the school fees. Hallelujah. If somebody... Something. They, they, they will rally together. Help the person. They were caring for each other. Let's read Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. It said, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. That means you must do good to everybody. Okay? When you have money, you, you, you have to dash people money. You have to help people. You have to be a blessing unto all people. Friends and enemies alike. Hallelujah. Not only to friends. But it goes on to say, especially. Somebody say especially. Unto them who are of their household of faith. So God's pattern is that if you are in the body of Christ, you are in church. 
and you have some good to do to somebody, you are not restricted from doing good to other people. But especially, look at your brothers in Christ first. Hallelujah. That means, if you establish a business, you are looking for employees. The first place we must advertise the vacancy should be in church. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm trying to give you a picture of what the New Testament church was. And that is what it's supposed to be. Because that is the original. We are all copies of the original. But sometimes the copies can, can look different. And when you do photocopy, there, it's not as sharp as the original itself. But we want to go back to the sharpness of the original. Hallelujah. And even be sharper because the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. Hallelujah. Especially to those that are of the household of faith. So if Dashen anointing falls on me and I open multiple businesses and, and I own a hundred acre farm in, in Kuranza somewhere and I need somebody to sit in a car here and once in a while go and look at things and manage things. I said, take the, the, the company's Toyota Tundra. Go all the way to Nkranza. Go and see how the farmers are doing and everything and blah, blah. And you come back to Accra and sit in a nice office and arrange for the export of the commodities. Hallelujah. If, if you have a filling station somewhere with a modern shop, may somebody receive that anointing today. A modern shop attached to it. And you are doing something else. You, you need somebody trustworthy. Say trustworthy. Yeah. Trustworthy to look after the business and manage it. You have to look within the house of God first. Unless, of course, there aren't people who are qualified to do that kind of work. That's a different case altogether. If it is a specific skill and you don't have anybody who... Are, if you open your own ultra-modern medical center and you are looking for people to do local, to earn extra cash, why should you go and look for unbelievers to come and do the local? They don't realize they'll be doing abortion behind your back. When they are very highly trained, skilled, intelligent nurses, doctors in the house. Hallelujah. We need every skill. If we had a, 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 a carpenter, international class carpenter, when you are moving into your brand new house, you won't go to Bogas for them to, to, to sell the furniture to you at ten times what you get it. Your Christian brother will do an equally good job for less. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that, that is the pattern. That is how church is supposed to be. That is how church is supposed to be. And that is why we must know each other in the church. Because there is somebody sitting by who has a skill that you need. And you are going around looking for another person. And you will go and because you don't pray and fast, your spirit man is not very active. You go and land on some crook. Who will dupe you and take your money away. But this one, you are in the same church. If he tries to do, if you come and report to me. <laughs> I shall pray some kinds of prayers upon his head. So I said, come, this one, I'll lay my legs on you. His hands. And make some declarations for you to repent. Hallelujah. 
So they were a caring church. They used to visit each other. They used to bear each other's burdens. So God's idea was that the church should be a growing church and a caring church. One day I'll preach a sermon on the caring church. So let me shelve that one. Hallelujah. Now let's look at the growth. It was a growing church. Tell somebody it's good for a church to grow. Hallelujah. It was part of God's plan. Now, it's supposed to be growing and caring at the same time. But some people feel growing and caring are mutually exclusive. It becomes more difficult to care for each other as you are growing. True or false? When you are smaller, it's easier. You know each other. You talk amongst yourself. But there's a solution to that one. We'll come to that one later. Hallelujah. So it was a growing church. Now in Acts chapter 1 verse 15. Let's see how it started. With how many people? Acts chapter 1 verse 15. Acts 1 15. It said in those days. Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said. So this one was, was preaching to the disciples. The number of names together were about 120. Hallelujah. So the church started with a membership of 120. 120 people. That's a very good start. Too. <laughs> that is a very, very, very good start. And I'm going to take you through systematically for you to see the, 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 the systematic growth that the church went through. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. From 120. Acts 2.41. After Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost, what happened? Let's say it together. Go. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about what? 3,000 souls. From 120, 3,000. That means on the first day the church was born, already it became a mega church. Hallelujah. From 120 straight. Now, if your church grows from 120 to even 1,000 in a day, they'll say you are going to see a juju man. You are using something. There is something under there. Let's go and dig the altar. There's a dead body lying there. There's a small child that has been buried under the altar. But this was the New Testament church. One day, one sermon, they didn't even say there was worship or praise or some nice music. One man, after he was drunk in the Holy Ghost and had spoken, decided to go and stand there and speak. This was a man who was afraid to even admit that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. When a small girl confronted Peter, I don't understand him. You, you have boasted. When Jesus said you, you deny me not once, not twice. Ah, how can you even say that me? Wherever you shall go, I shall follow. But you see, what confuses me is the fact that he seemed to be on the path to doing that. Because in the garden, when they attempted to catch Jesus, he was the one who took out the sword. So he was in that mood to fulfill the promise to Jesus Christ. He cut somebody's ear. And Jesus took plastic surgery. Pa. 
So I'm sure at that point he was like, this man, uh, he wants to die. You see, sometimes you shouldn't be too hard on Peter. What he said he wanted to do, he started it do. And the man himself reversed what he had taken energy to. So he stood down and talked to himself, Charlie, this guy, he wants to die. He, he has the ability to cause ears to me. I've not done some before. If they catch me right now and they cut off my arm, I'm finished. That's when the cowardice came upon him. So he was able to stand against a soldier and cut his ear. That means he wasn't a weakling. Hallelujah. But then something happened in between that. And when the small girl, a maid, if you can stand in front of a soldier, why shouldn't you be able to stand in front of a maid? Say circumstances. One day I'll preach a sermon on circumstances. <laughs> circumstances can make you do things you never thought you'd do. But the good thing is at the end of the day, he repented and cried and Jesus forgave him. When Jesus saw him the first time after his resurrection, you'd have expected Jesus to say, Ah, Peter, I told you. You're too low. <laughs> I told you. But the first time they met was when they said they were all gathered in the upper room. And we're praying, Jesus entered without opening the door. When Jesus Christ was now in his glorified body. And the Bible says, he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Don't hold things against people. Hallelujah. Instead of rebuking him and reminding him of the wrong he's done, he gave him an impartation of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Let us shift from Brad Peter. What was I saying? <laughs> what was I talking about before I even went to Peter? The systematic growth. Yes. So this man now filled with the Holy Ghost stood and preached one sermon. Suddenly 120 people had increased to 3,000. Mega church. Straight. Acts chapter 2 verse 47. Just six chapters. And the addition didn't stop. It said, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church Daily. Everybody say daily. So on a daily basis, new souls were being won. We are not told the numbers. First day was 3,000. Maybe the next day, 500. This, that, that. So the church was just accelerating in growth like that. Daily. And they had favor with all the people. May overflow have favor with the people. Hallelujah. You need that kind of favor to expand and to grow. Add that to the church daily. Such as should be said. Everybody say added. Say added. And hold on to that word later. I'll refer to it again. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. It says, How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men, say the men, was about how many this time? 5,000. And this was just the main. And I can project based on two things. One, the natural ratio between men and women. Women are more than men. I'm trying to project and postulate that the women were way more than the men. One, women are already more, in terms of population, women are more than men in this world. And two, this is church. Hallelujah. This is church. You let take this row alone and look. 
at the ratio of men. The men on this in this area, give me a wave. The ladies in the area, give me a wave. Majority. Hallelujah. Even here, we can see that the women are more. So if the men were five thousand, Hallelujah. You can imagine the number of women. I'm just trying to show you that the, the church was just growing like that. From Acts chapter 1, now we reach chapter 4. And look at the level of growth. Acts 5.14. Acts 5.14. I'll be stopping in the next few minutes. Acts 5.14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes. Say multitudes. Both of men and women. So different words are being used. Now they've reached multitudes. Now look at something somebody said in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Acts 5, 28. It's a saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem. Say, filled. Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They had filled Jerusalem. Theologians will tell you that by that time, the population of Jerusalem was about 250,000 people. And look at some of the numbers we were talking about already. And the level of growth. It means a lot of the people in Jerusalem were part of the church. So it's possible for a church to enter a town and three quarters of the people are members of the church born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, living a holy life. It is possible. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Tell me, they had come and they taught the people and everybody was talking about the new things that they, were, they, they, they knew from the teachings that were, they were receiving. Acts 6, 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. He said, and in those days, when the number of the dis- disciples was multiplied. Say multiplied. Earlier on, we were doing addition. Now we are doing multiplication. We've reached a higher level. A different mathematical operation altogether. Now we are talking about exponential growth. Hallelujah. So you let me stop here. There are more scriptures to show you that the church was growing. But so far I've showed you that God's pattern was that the church should be a caring church. And it should be a growing church. But a lot of people ask, is it possible to combine growing and caring? Because the more you grow, the less the care becomes. Because it's like now diffuse responsibility. But for every church, you must grow bigger and smaller at the same time. Grow bigger in worship and grow smaller in fellowship. So what was the solution to this problem of maintaining a system where you had a growing church and it was still a caring church? So something that happened in the Old Testament was revisited. When you look at Exodus chapter 18 from verse 1 to 27, there's no time to read But the closest thing we could liken to the church in the New Testament was the nation of Israel. Especially when they were in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. 
Moses was the only one handling everybody. He was the one doing consultation. They come and see him with their problems. You give them prophetic direction. Do this and that and that and that. He was the only one handling it. And he was beginning to burn out. So his father-in-law Jethro gave him some good management advice. A powerful a management consultant. He gave him some advice. He said, look, this thing that you are doing, you are going to break down, you are going to die early. So now let's do some decentralization. So what did he do? He appointed leaders over fives, leaders over tens, leaders over this, leaders over thousands. So what they did was to create smaller groups within their big group. So that the burden of having to take care of everybody, their caring, is not just one person's job now. It has been decentralized. Hallelujah. So it's something God used way back in the Old Testament to make things work. They were like a church. That's why sometimes they are referred to as the congregation of Israel. They were like a church. So for the New Testament church, God had to employ a similar strategy of containing both growth and ensuring that there is a lot of care in the church. And so what was that pattern? The home church system. The cell system. Hallelujah. I can tell you that in the New Testament church, most of their meetings were at home level. They used to meet in the, in the temples all right. And even in the temples, they weren't meeting inside the temples. It was in the courts of the temples. Those days, you couldn't just enter the temple. It was the high priest. Even he used to go there once in a, what do you call it, year, on the day of atonement. It's the outer courts. That's where they gathered to worship. But most of their meetings were in homes. Most of their meetings were in homes. Let me give you examples of that. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. But before that, let's read Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Acts 5.42. How were they ma- managing all these multitudes? All these, these big numbers. Acts chapter 5. Verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach. Say, in every house. So when they went to the temple, they taught. And they taught in the houses as well. Alright? So if you are to follow God's pattern, it's not just about coming to church on Sunday and coming to church on a Wednesday to come and worship, to come and pray, and to come and listen to the word of God. They did it in the temples and they also did it in their houses. Let me give you further evidence that they were meeting in houses. Romans chapter 16 verse 1. He said, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church. Give me Acts 12, 12. He said, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary. The what of Mary? The mother of John, whose surname was Mark. That means John Mark. Where many were gathered together, doing what? Praying. So this is an example something happening in somebody's home. Acts chapter 20 verse 20. He said, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you 
and have taught you publicly and from where? House to house. Hallelujah. There are more scriptures, but for time, let me end here. At least, these ones are showing you that it wasn't just a temple thing. They were meeting in people's houses. So to conclude, when they met in people's houses, what were they doing? What were the things that they were doing? One, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. That means they did Bible study. Hallelujah. Sometimes the things that had been taught in church, they'll go over in the form of a Bible study. And you see, the advantage of a small group, a cell group, is that here, after I finish preaching, there's no time for you to raise your hand and ask questions. Or if you have your own revelation, an additional deep something to add, you don't have the opportunity to do that here. Hallelujah. But in a small group, say in a small group, after you have studied and gone over what has been taught, you can also have your say and ask questions. No, as for this thing that was asked, I didn't understand it. I want further explanation. And when that explanation is given, that's when I say, iron sharpened iron. And so does the countenance of a man. Then we are all growing. Hallelujah. It increases your own ability to analyze scripture. You can ask questions. Oh, but I heard somewhere that is this and this and this and this and this and that. And if there's somebody who has the ready to answer the question, it is answered. When we have iron sharpened iron services here, don't you like it? Don't you enjoy it? That's when you realize that it, it, it's also a way of challenging each other. Because sometimes when you come and sit here and you hear some people and they are quoting scripture, they say, hey, Charlie God, I must arise and shine. Realize that you, you are just sleeping. When I do the eye, sometimes I can see worry on some people's faces. When I say, give me the five so so and so, and somebody takes him, pa, 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 say, hey, Charlie, I have to sit up. That's what we mean by iron sharpening iron. Hallelujah. So they met and devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So they did Bible studies. Not just on what the apostles are taught, but but the word of God itself. Decide on the topic. Today we are going to have a Bible study on the Christian and dressing. The Christian and alcohol. We have a Bible study on giving, on Christian relationships. And we are learning at a smaller level where people can share ideas. Hallelujah. So in those smaller groups, in those cells, in those home churches, those are the things they were doing. Secondly, the Bible said they fellowship together, they build relationships. Build relationships. Both brotherly relationships Husband and wife relationships. You understand? It is all very important. Amen? Yeah. A gentleman in the church, shine your eyes. Open your eyes. In fact, may your eyes be... I should have done a special anointing for the men. Eye opening. Now I'll use green oil. Anoint your eyes. See, see. There are people walking all around you and you are looking far away. Your blessing is under your ribs. <laughs> you are looking far away. So they fellowship together. So when they finished the cell meeting, the home church meeting, oh sister, let me go and see you off. It is too dark. 
the system has become dangerous. The system is not safe. Security is down, as NDC will tell you. <laughs> so let me be your guide and your shield. <laughs> they were fellowshipping together. Hallelujah. Getting to know each other better. Three, they broke bread. Hallelujah. So at cell level, you must eat. Organize yourselves. It is a very powerful doctrine. The doctrine of breaking of bread. It is a very, very powerful thing. It, food binds people together more than anything. I'm sure there are some friends you made last week Sunday. All be, not because of the word, but the food. Hallelujah. Food brings people together because it is one of the things that every human being, whether you are spiritual or unspiritual, you do, you eat. None of us is floating around like you know, sometimes when ministerial ethics, hey, pastors, you shouldn't eat in public. We are human beings, we eat. Whether we eat in public or in private, it's still eating. Hallelujah. There was a time I went for some program long ago. It was a music program at the conference center. And there was a break. As part of the ticket, there was this snack they were giving. That they hadn't eaten since morning. I was very, very hungry. So when it was time for that, I stood at the foyer. People were queuing and collecting the food. I was looking around to see if I knew any familiar faces. I was debating, should I go for this? Because my hypoglycemia was about to catch me. Standing there looking, as I was contemplating, within five minutes, I had been surrounded by like ten people. Oh, hello, man of God. Oh, hello, man of God. I was standing there and ten people, I was chatting with them. People I didn't know from Adam. But they knew me because of ministers. Like, hey, if these people had come and I was biting pie, <laughs> cocaine, you know, I said, hey, man of God, you too, you eat. Of course I eat. How do you think I get energy to preach? Hallelujah. So breaking of bread is good. It's a very, very good thing. So when we start ourselves, have drinkers. Hallelujah. One sister decided today, me, my specialty is yam and palava sauce. I want to make sure you are well fed. So some of you, the gentlemen, you are looking too slim. Come, come, come and let me feed you. Huh? So I said during the first moment, some of you, you are too slim. It's not because of fasting and prayer. You need dashen. Huh? Anytime anybody is preaching and sees you, if 